shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip, two sides of a coin. Trey, heads or tails? Oh, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to call heads. And it's heads. He's flipping it, and he's giving me the ball. Real, genuine coin. Trey wants the ball. So, it's startup season, as we all know. And say we're on the clock, Trey. You're looking for a young, wide receiver. Are you taking Devonta Smith, or are you taking JSN Jackson Smith and Jigba? Ooh, that's a good one. I think JSN belongs in that same range as Devonte Smith, but I think I got to give the edge to Smith. The devil, you know, even though, you know, I, yeah, he's the guy I've seen him do it. He's, he's balled out at the pro level already. So you remove that downside risk. And I think he has similar upside in the right system as JSN. Uh, and even if JSN really, really hits, you know, you still got the question marks with like DK there, like what's going to happen with Gino post Gino, that sort of thing. So the situations aren't like entirely different. Uh, so yeah, give me uh, Smith. All right. Sounds good. Tarek, you like Smith and Jigba? Or are you going with Smith? Um, so I agree with Trey. I'm going to go with Smith, but I disagree that it's close. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think obviously like in bulletproof ADP, Jackson Smith and Jigba is 401 and Devontae Smith is 402. So it's not like this crazy take that JSN should be going over Devonte Smith and JSN is an amazing prospect. I'm not taking that away from him. Um, I just, I, I feel like Devonte Smith is verifiably good. Yes. His target share upside is a little bit capped with AJ Brown in the mix, but Jackson Smith and Jigba is also dealing with two very good receivers yeah. in his room as well. So I think there's a little bit of, uh, of target share capping in the Seattle offense as well. I just think Devonte Smith threw a few years in the league has been like good on all levels. Like he's been a great separator, just like he was in college. He's gotten the targets really far down the field. So, you know, he's got that, that warp, that weighted opportunity Mm -hmm. rating uh, that we like to see. He's kind of a superstar in that stat. Um, And I think, you know, for Jackson Smith and Jigba to kind of get to that level of dynasty asset, Uh, he's probably got to hit a little bit higher than his median outcome. I would say like that that's my only hesitation there. And that's why I see a little bit of a tear break for me between Devontae Smith and Jackson Smith and Jigba. If you looked at like linear rankings, I do not think they would be super far apart from me in my own personal wide receiver ranks uh, ranks. But I I do think I have like a strong preference uh, towards the slim reaper. And, and before we throw it back to you, Marles, I I guess I want to just give, uh, JSN a little bit of love here, right? Like this is, you know, something I think you can say about any rookie where when we haven't seen them do it on the field yet, you know, there's reason to believe that, uh, there is some upside there that, you know, they could grow into eventually be closer to somebody like Chris Olave or someone like Garrett Wilson, not to helmet scout too hard there, but you know, that level (laughs) of upside is there. Uh, whereas, you know, I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. And I, I just said, I would prefer Devonte Smith given the choice one to one, but you know, I think that would be the case for JSN that there's this small probability that he could potentially unlock an upside that's higher than what we could get with Smith in that Eagles offense. But yeah, range, range of outcomes is a little bit wider right. uh, for JSN on both sides. But so. I, I mostly agree with you here. Yeah. 
All right, guys. Well, I mean, that's that's fair. I chose two guys that were obviously very similar. But one thing that stands out to me is that uh, the Adeco ADP for T. Higgins is higher than both of these guys. Would you take T over these two? I, I, I mean, I think you're kind of in a tier there, right? So I think you could trade off of T. Higgins and trade back a few spots and take one of the other guys and take whatever value you can get. I think T. Higgins is also verifiably good in the NFL as well, but he's got a lot of the same question marks uh, as Devontae Smith in terms of his uh, upside target share. Yeah, I guess you could argue with T. Higgins that there is a little bit more upside in that uh, since the offense, just because Burrow's not the runner that Jalen Hurts is. So, you know, if there's a reason to justify the value with T, I could think it's all there. But if I can get Devontae Smith plus, uh, I'll take that for sure. The, these guys and, and shout out to I think it's Eric Eager at PFF who originally came up with this concept and uh, Jacob Sanderson and, and Thomas Tipple uh, talk about this a lot, but it's like the the wide receiver Russian nesting doll theory. Like these guys are all in the rushing nest Russian nesting doll. Like you just kind of open one and and there's like slightly less value <laughs> for each one. But as far as like product productivity and what they could mean to your dynasty roster, just like keep trading back and, and gaining value all the way until you get to Brandon Ayuk, you know, <laughs> go from T Higgins, just trade back every single receiver spot till you get to Brandon Ayuk and compile like two firsts along the way. You might be able to go further than Ayuk. You might be able to take it all the way down to Tyler Lockett. <laughs> R- Rashad Bateman, man. Let's let's get whoa, wild. Whoa, here. No, no, no. <laughs> you just chose no. T because he's so big. You know, he's like the big Russian nesting doll. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's exactly. quite large. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into episode 87 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly, monthly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I am your host with the most tilt in Dynasty startups, Tarek Angry T. Benchuya. With me today, Trey Cryan and Mitch Yates. You heard them in the coin toss. Here we are, episode 87. Trey, what's going on, man? It was a robust uh, coin toss segment this week. You know, we strive to be weekly. Uh, it's It's been a little bit of a hiatus since the last one, but uh, I think we still it's still what we strive for around here. I'm doing good, man. Hanging in there. Uh, I have dipped my toes finally in the best ball waters on underdog. So I've got a couple of puppy two drafts going at the moment. And uh, I've got one where it's like a non-tournament, just a 12 team uh, going right now. But uh yeah, these slow drafts are so goddamn slow, A, and B, I have gotten seriously unlucky. I'm picking 10, 11, and 11 out of 12-team leagues in, in all three of these. So uh, maybe one day, guys, I will be able to pick from a spot in the first half of a uh, best ball draft. Hey, man, that's that's part of their revenue model, dude. You just got to keep buying in so that you can get <laughs> that diversified portfolio. Hey, the the puppies are only five bucks so you know it's there you go it's it's the low barrier to entry yeah exactly all right mitch what about you how are you doing are you in the best ball streets yet oh you know it dude if there's anything fantasy football i'm at least dabbling in it but aside from football my my two favorite other other sport teams the miami heat and the las vegas golden knights are in their respective finals 
And I kind of realized that I'm just not really a fan of other sports. Although that was a, that was a <laughs> I was gonna say that was a great game last night. The the first complete game I watched of basketball all season. Nice. Yeah. Nice. No. Uh, all in uh, personally this year for Hemi Butler. I think I think Jokic uh, has a few more in him. I'm worried that if uh, Mr. Hemothy does not get his first one here, it might be his last chance. So, and you're going to pretend uh, he didn't just mention hockey whatsoever. I mean, look, it's when they're on the it, ice with sticks it, and there's like look, little man, goals. I, I like hockey, honestly. Like, it, I think it's really fun. I just like don't have any allegiances. So I've just been NFL and NBA for a long time. So I'm, I'm just now trying to get into Austin FC. So it's, it's a process, guys. But in any case, uh, let's, let's kind of get into our Dynasty content today. Uh, first thing, we've been off for about a month. There's been a lot of news. There's been a lot of Twitter debates out there. Um, we've had various days on Twitter, like there was Travis Etienne versus Tank Bigsby Day, et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to talk about that, but we are going to talk about some of the biggest news stories over the last month. Probably the biggest one is DeAndre Hopkins, Nuke Hopkins uh, was released by the Arizona Cardinals. He is currently an unrestricted free agent. Uh, we're waiting to see where he could land. Um, DeAndre Hopkins has been very good for a very long time. I think under the radar good last year, like a, you know, just under 30% target share. DeAndre Hopkins is one of those guys that honestly, wherever he lands, like the receivers, the incumbent receivers, uh, watch out. Because DeAndre Hopkins is an alpha, and even at 31 years old, I think he is going to be an alpha. Trey, what do you think about this release? What do you think about some landing spots? Just process the the new Hopkins free agency. Well, the release is definitely a signal that this is going to be a tough year in Arizona. I think you can downgrade some of the other pieces in that offense just because they're not going to be necessarily as competitive. I mean, I recognize the ball's got to go somewhere, but if it's not going in the end zone, Maybe not too many fantasy points to be had uh, with Cardinals. And as far as landing spots go, uh, I mean, it's all up in the air right now. Uh, obviously, Chiefs, Bills, Cowboys would be exciting, uh, but more likely we'll get like Patriots or something lame like that. Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> right. I got a couple for you. Yeah. Bal- Baltimore would be fun for all of my Lamar shares, uh, not fun for the the Zay Flowers drafters, et cetera, but. Yeah, uh, Mitch, you have thoughts on uh, Nuke and what's kind of left in Arizona? Well, I've been on record before saying there might be some caution to be had with the situation here. Uh, Julio Jones comes to memory. Like, he's also 31, like you mentioned. So uh, although he was excellent, the like the limited time that he played last year, like there's a chance that he's running out of gas faster than... Uh, than not, but I've also been thinking about. I think there were talks of maybe going back to Houston. And yeah. one thing, actually, I, I heard rumblings of the Cleveland Browns, like a Deshaun Watson yep. reuniting, and and that would be pretty sick. But I agree with you. I think that like most likely you're gonna get just kind of a mid situation, and the people hanging on to Hopkins right now are hoping for something good so they can flip him, but. If I'm hanging on to him, I, I might be listening a little harder right now. Yeah, I mean, a couple things there. I think, so I did actually draft him in our startup we just did. Uh, me and Alan picked him up uh, in one of the later rounds. Uh, so we're definitely hoping he lands somewhere good and probably relying on him for production this year. 
Uh, I think D hop last year, especially showed more than we saw out of Julio Jones uh, leaving Atlanta for Tennessee. So I think it's a little bit apples to oranges there, but uh, I, I hear what you mean where when they start to fall off, they do fall off quickly. Yeah, exactly. That's like the, the, what Adam Harstead has done a couple studies on in terms of the wide receiver age cliff and like the, all the marbles, you know, it's basically like once they're bad, they are really bad. And that's yep. what mm-hmm. happened with Julio Jones. And we haven't seen it with DeAndre Hopkins, but yeah, I mean, it, it could happen at any point. Yeah, uh, I'm scared. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to, you know, think about that. I, I will say on the other side, um, I probably think congratulations are in order for anybody who bought Marquise Brown over the last yeah, four true. or five months uh, or held Marquise Brown through this dip. Um, I think Marquise Brown is an amazing wide receiver. He has shown very consistently throughout his career to be like a 28% target share guy, um, kind of the unquestioned wide receiver one there for now. Yes, it will probably be pretty difficult with Colt McCoy or Clayton Toon at the at the helm, um, but even bad quarterbacks can support good wide receivers. So congrats uh, to those people. As well as, you know, we'll see what happens with Rondale Moore. His sophomore season was a lot more promising than his rookie year, but, you know, uh, also might be an opportunity to flip Rondale Moore as well. Let's move on to this next uh, news item. Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, so now playing for the Las Vegas Raiders, reportedly failed a physical. Um, the, The... you know, the exact circumstances of this situation are a little bit vague. I don't know, Trey, maybe you can help us out here. Um, but I think now there's concerns about his availability for training camp now that it has been reported that he needed foot surgery um, after his last season in San Francisco. So yeah. what are your concerns here, Trey, with uh, Jimmy G? Yeah, apparently instead of actually getting a physical when he signed this contract, he just signed a waiver saying he was going to get this surgery, which wasn't reported until like a week or two ago uh, when he actually got the surgery. So it's definitely a weird situation. He seems like he is the king of just getting out of as much work as possible by <laughs> you know typing these surgeries to avoid any sort of off-season workouts whatsoever. So, you know, uh, props to him for that, but it, it does cast some doubt on this passing offense to me. He, he works out in other ways. Yeah, yeah, working out that foot for sure. Uh, <laughs> but it, it casts some doubt for me on the uh, the passing offense here, you know. I I just think like if he's not ready to go for off-season workouts for training camp, that's just the, that those connections that are built in the offseason that don't get to, you know, establish the rapport with incoming receiver Jacoby Myers, with Devontae Adams, you know, certified superstar. Uh, so it makes me a little bit nervous about the the prospects there. But, um, you know, if he's back and healthy for training camp, then I will stop caring and continue, you know, investing in those pieces. Yeah, this is tough for me, man, because I'm not high on Jimmy G. Never never really think that he's uh, been a good quarterback fantasy-wise or other. And, you know, at first I was a little hesitant on Devontae Adams and backing off. But the more I've kind of sat with this and thought about it, he Jimmy G wasn't really boosting his value a whole lot either. And Josh McDaniels is pretty good at scheming. So as he said before, I think he said he could plug a high school quarterback in there and still succeed. But we'll see because I think Hoyer is the backup there right now, which not great. So I I don't really know what the plan is outside of Jimmy G other than panic and 
throw the ball to Devontae Adams. But either way, I think that he's going to be okay in this. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Hoyer because Hoyer was one of the quarterbacks in that rotation of Houston quarterbacks that DeAndre Hopkins just didn't give a fuck about, right? We go from Hopkins to talking about uh, the Raiders and Tay here. I think Devontae Adams with like Aaron Rodgers' previous injuries, you've seen Devontae Adams like be much like DeAndre Hopkins to where they can pretty much play with anybody like and they're going to eat, right? So I think there's concern. Obviously, like you want the best quarterback possible to be playing there to support you know, somebody that you invested a fourth round startup pick in in Devonte Adams, but um, I wouldn't be too concerned. And you know, if if this causes any dip in Devonte Adams's value as a result, uh, I would look at it more as a buying opportunity because, yeah, Tay is just automatic. Um, okay, so final little news item we're going to talk about here: uh, another like roster transaction in the NFL that actually hasn't happened yet even though we would expect it to happen. And that's Dalvin Cook uh, running back for the Minnesota Vikings is still a Minnesota Viking. Um, Trey, it seemed like for a large portion of the offseason, at least leading up until June 1st, we thought that Alexander Madison was on his way to being the starting running back for the Vikings and Dalvin Cook was you know, potentially on his way to Miami or something. But now that he's still a Viking and there's a lot of reports that he will remain a Viking, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, June 1st has come and gone now, and Dalvin Cook still remains on the Vikings roster. I was looking at some of the news today, and it seems like the market still is projecting that he will ultimately be released by the Vikings at some point this summer uh, when that happens, you know, to be determined. But uh, if you look at his value right now, keep trade cut, uh, his value on underdog drafts, he is falling like crazy like he is a very very cheap investment right now uh if you still believe he's got it like he's got something left uh, to give then whether it's for minnesota or another team like it's potentially a value my view though is that he really didn't show a lot last year i think he Mm -hmm. actually like started to show signs of wearing down uh at age 27 or however old he is now so I'm not looking at this so much as a buy opportunity. And if he does sign with say Miami, for example, and I had him on a roster anywhere, I would definitely take that opportunity to unload him if I could. Yeah. I don't look at this as a huge buy either, but you know, I I feel like I've been the only one that thought that he was just going to stay in Minnesota. And I still like when you said he's going to be released, I'm like, I I don't see why I don't really see what the Vikings are going to gain by doing that. And so I think that he's probably good to play this year in Minnesota, but at what level is that going to be kind of what you were saying that like there was some decline and I'm just, I'm worried that he's no longer kind of like what Ezekiel Elliott became like, he's no longer Dalvin cook. He's just, or I'm afraid that he's no longer Dalvin cook. I mean, yeah. And, and in real football terms, it could be maybe that he is, isn't released, but they kind of force his hand to renegotiate his contract and mm-hmm. take a lower, you know, salary or whatever to stick around in Minnesota. So that's that is a potential outcome here too. Yeah, I mean, in this startup that we just completed, and we're going to be talking about it a lot today, he went as the tenth pick in the tenth round. So not a whole lot of opportunity cost here to draft him in startups. I mean, around that point, you're passing up on some of the rookies like sam laporta or potentially jaden reed or, or somebody in like that neighborhood of the rookie landscape like a mid so there is or so yeah yeah early to mid second so i there's some opportunity cost there but 
I think as far as like whether he's got it or not, we saw some mixed signals last year. Like I know that he had like three of the top five fastest runs in the NFL last year. Like he hit like three of the top five fastest miles per hour. So as far as like long speed, I think he's still got it. I think he shows up on tape uh, faster than you may expect. But in terms of like weaving through traffic and making explosive cuts, kind of something that Dalvin Cook has been known for, for, you know, the last five or six years. Um, some of the numbers like his advanced rushing efficiency numbers seem to indicate that uh, he's he's fallen off a bit. So mixed signals, I, I think I'm okay either way if you want to take the bet at that cost. But uh, but yeah, uh, we usually say with these running backs, better to be a year early than a year late in terms of offloading them. So. Yeah, and when I mentioned specifically falling off, a couple of advanced stats just to throw out there. Fantasy points per opportunity uh, outside the top 50 running backs, breakaway run rate outside. He was number 30 in the NFL uh, yards per touch. He was number 27. So outside, outside the top 24. So uh, all of those are signs of potentially not being, not having that same level of efficiency as we would expect. Yeah. My last little tidbit on Dalvin cook is I do have a couple shares of him. And with those I'm hanging on just because I think the situation gets better before it gets worse. Even if he's released and signed somewhere else, I think that'll boost his value right on. All right, let's kick off this first half. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today, uh, we've referenced it a few times. We recently completed um, a startup, uh, our TLG4 startup. So it's our fourth show league. It's a pretty fun league, 12 teams. Every team has at least one co-manager. So I think there's a total of 26 or 27 managers in the league. Um, really sharp room. It was a really long kind of painful, but also extremely fun draft. Um, and we're going to use that startup board as an opportunity to give the listeners some takeaways. You know, what are some trends that we noticed? What are some values that we noticed? Some interesting trades that happened during the startup that kind of glean strategy for future startups that, you know, we or the listeners do. Um, so, you know, before we get started, I, I just you know, really quickly want to say a lot of the people who are in that league are probably listening to this episode. Um, thank you guys for joining that league. And, you know, if we say anything negative about a selection you made or about your team, um, it's all in good fun. You know, like I, I recognize that my team has a lot of work to do too. So, you know, take, take it in stride. Speak for yourself, Tarek. I'm out for blood today. <laughs> all right. Sounds all right, good. All right. Uh, let, let's kick it off. First thing I want to talk about, uh, j- let's from all of us, let's get thoughts on what your team strategy was. Like, how did you and your co-manager approach the startup and, you know, how did your team shake out and kind of what was the reasoning behind some of the decisions that you made, uh, on a Mac in a macro sense. So Mitch, let's start with you. Well, yeah, first of all, uh, I am partnered up with Robert Payne, uh, Rob Payne here. He's, uh, been a part of the like the TLG the beginning. He was one of our first listeners. I ended up in a league with him very like long ago, I think. And he's become a good friend of mine, good friend of the pod. So just shout out to you, Rob. Uh, but yeah, we our our plan was to just kind of you know stay open, see what happens, and then we draw the the fifth pick and the fifth overall pick, and it, it presented us with a situation, and we decided to trade back and accumulate value and go for more of a young and hung 
wide receiver situation, and we wanted to be patient while we waited for our QB. So I think it's kind of mandatory when you get a top six pick to shop it and at least see what kind of free value you can get. Because when I say free value, I mean, you didn't do anything to get the fifth overall pick. You just got it. So yeah. might as well see what happens there. But we traded back. We traded back with Tarek for the ninth pick, and we took Jamar Chase. And then that trade gave us the resources to trade again and secure Chris Olave at the 303. And that rounded out our big three wide receivers of Jamar Chase, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave. So we were metaphorically shaking each other's hands and celebrating like we were in a real NFL draft room after that start. Like, I was definitely fist pumping. But, you know, that that three wide receiver start also let us stay open-minded with the direction that we wanted to take our squad. Although, I mean, early it looked like we might be competing for 2024. I didn't want to take 2023 off the table. But then uh, through rounds four and five, it made it a little bit more, uh, a little easier for us. Uh, We kept preaching, hold the line, don't reach on a quarterback. And then 15 quarterbacks were taken within the first 36 picks. And so the best available quarterback at our pick in the fourth round was Daniel Jones. So uh, I think oh Daniel Jones, Trey Lance, Kirk Cousins, and Jared Goff. So we said no to that, and uh, we went with Kenneth Walker and uh, at the four four point five, and DeAndre Swift at the five point eight. So basically, we we just skipped quarterback until round six, and then at that point, we scooped up Trey Lance twenty two spots after the last quarterback was drafted, and then Dalton Kincaid, Will Levis, and then uh, Derek Carr to round out our quarterback situation. So. Basically, we got all of our pieces, our uh, skill positions, wide receivers, running backs, got our core, and then tried to sprinkle in the quarterbacks there at the end. Yeah, Mitch, just looking at this roster, the way you constructed it with Rob, it seems like it's very much looking to the future here. Uh, you're investing in the long, in the really studly young wide receivers and then giving yourself some upside pieces with running back and quarterback and tight end here. So. If a couple of these guys hit, you could be in really good position, I think, for 2024. Um, so do you guys mind if I just jump into talking about uh, my roster? Yeah, let's go yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, we can we can go into it, talk about all of our rosters, and then maybe kind of round back. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So so my co-manager is Alan. Uh, we are in one Dynasty League together. Uh, we This is our first time co-managing together, and uh, our approach to the draft was probably the polar opposite to uh, Mitch and Rob. We went very robust running back with the old crusty uh, wide receivers. Uh, <laughs> and we were right next to each other in the draft too. So it's kind of funny how it shook out, but uh, yeah, so we were picking at uh, the one Oh four. We went QB QB in the first two rounds. We were able to get Joe Burrow and Kyler Murray and then picking in the third round uh, with um, the running back. I really preferred Christian McCaffrey having gone just before that we were really split between Saquon Barkley and Tyreek Hill. We kind of flipped a coin and decided to go Saquon there. And that sort of set the tone for the rest of the draft because from picks uh, four, five, and six, we went Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, uh, Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry. So, so very, very high T levels, a very robust <laughs> running back room on this squad. And then we followed that up with some old crusty, uh, but you know, really good wide receivers with Calvin Ridley, D hop and Keaton Allen. Uh, you know, all those guys are going in the wide receiver two range in uh, best ball drafts. We were able to get them, you know, in round seven, eight, nine, ten 10 uh, for the startup. So 
it is a, a roster where it's only a start to wide receiver league. So I felt a little bit more comfortable taking that approach at wide receiver. And while that is like a weakness of the team, we've got a very clear strength at running back. And I think that gives us the opportunity to, you know, make some deals down the road to balance things out. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting hearing like both you and Mitch describe your strategies and like how things shook out for y'all, because then we have my team, which kind of was completely different as well. Like, you know, three separate teams with three very different strategies. So kind of unlike Mitch, you know, I traded up with Mitch in order to secure a top five quarterback. And, you know, like Mitch said, we made a few pick swaps with Rob and Mitch in order to move up, secure Justin Herbert. And it kind of comes out of maybe a little bit of cowardice and that like my <laughs> experience in super flex leagues is that you either have an elite value quarterback or you're trying to get one. Um, so I think we just decided to go and get one. Uh, when their value is most reasonable, and that is this startup. I know there's maybe a little bit of question as to is Justin Herbert an elite level quarterback? I happen to think he is. Um, you know, I, I think there are legitimate reasons to maybe be concerned after his sophomore year, but you know, we also, uh, after getting Herbert, we prioritized depth at the quarterback position, so we really kind of went chalk super flex where. If there wasn't other positional players we liked, we just drafted a quarterback as a store of value. So we got Dak Prescott in the second round. Um, and then later we were able to get Aaron Rodgers a couple rounds later. And then pretty late in the draft, Baker Mayfield. So, you know, I, I think as a store of value, drafting quarterback when you're not sure about what else is on the board, I think that was kind of a big strategy of ours. And then outside of that, um, it kind of turned out to where we had veteran production in the starting lineup. Um, whereas a lot of just kind of young handcuffs and upside rookie wide receivers on the bench. Um, so while we wanted to, young guys to build around, like we drafted um, Drake London in the third, Javante Williams um, later in the draft. I can't remember what round exactly, but our flexes are occupied by guys like Tyler Lockett and Alvin Kamara, um, who are kind of value veteran guys right now. So you know, last thing I'll, I'll say is that a lot of sniping happened in this draft. It was a pretty sharp room. But, you know, one thing, a, another strategy we had very, very pointedly was we wanted to come out of this draft with all of our future picks in tow, not assume that we'd be competitive from jump so that we can maintain as much flexibility um, going into the first year of this Dynasty League. Yeah, I think all three of us maintained our uh, uh -huh. future draft picks. Rob and I made it a point. We were like, we're not trading our first. That was, I mean, the second I was open to it if needed, but we ended up not trading any of our picks. Yeah, you, Mitch ended up gaining a second, right? You only moved back one spot, I believe, uh, and, and gained a second, uh, which was definitely a trade that a lot of the room was tilting about uh, when you were able to do that. But yeah. Go get your guy, I guess, man. <laughs> yeah, Isaiah Pacheco, I think, was the guy in that uh, situation. But also, uh, shout out uh, Tarek's uh, co-manager, Corey. Uh, we love you, Corey. And uh, yeah. Yeah, wow. Co Corey's like my best friend, and I like did not even mention his name. So, Corey, I love you. Uh, and, he'll he'll yeah, probably forgive you. Yeah, uh, he'll, he'll probably be like, what the fuck, dude? But anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, like three teams, three very different strategies. I think like... One of the things I wanted to come round back on with Mitch was like, I feel like Mitch's was obviously the most like unorthodox strategy in terms of being in a super flex league, 
starting out wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, you know, kind of securing that long time horizon with these stud wide receivers. And then, you know, going Trey Lance, if he hits, then great. Um, and then Will Levis as your second quarterback, but then kind of tying up some veteran safety with Derek Carr. So I don't know, Trey, like rounding back on Mitch's strategy, just because it's like pretty risky, I feel, or you don't see that a lot, like three wide receivers in a row to start a super flex draft. Yeah, I think there's a question about, so one, I guess one kind of caveat here is we did uh, mess with the QB scoring a little bit. So it is six point touchdowns. I know that's probably more common now than maybe it was uh, five, 10 years ago or whatever, but um, that was enough for me to kind of think, okay, maybe I should be valuing the quarterback a little bit more at the beginning of the draft. Uh, Mitch and Rob clearly decided they wanted to go uh, running or receiver and really, really nail down that room. And even though it is start to wide receiver, you know, these are three cornerstone uh, pieces to build a roster around. So even if you're not competitive this year and, and you may not be, uh, you have a great core to build around for the future. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, that that was, as unorthodox as it was, was the plan, was just getting three studs, and as Tarek mentioned, with just long horizons of, like, insulation. And I think that uh, the quarterback is obviously an issue with this squad, and that's what makes more sense about the Trey Lance pick, because if it works, great. And if it doesn't, that's cool, you know? Because then, then we can just go get our quarterback next year, because if... If he falls on his face or if he doesn't start, well, Will Levis isn't going to start right off the bat, presumably, anyway. Right. So that means we basically got Derek Carr in there just, you know, trying his best. But yeah, so you've you've got like you've got points that you've kind of strategically taken out of your lineup if Trey Lance doesn't work out. Right. right? So that you can improve your draft position. But if he does work out, then we got guys like Swift and Kenneth Walker. And then you got one guy we haven't really talked about yet is Dalton Kincaid. Right. We have a 1.75 point tight end reception, uh, points per reception. Um, and so I, I've been high on Kincaid for a while. But, I mean, if if that takes some time to work out as well, great. Then this is really a 2024 squad with a sliver of hope in 2023. And so I I, I like to build my teams around that sort of future, I guess. I, I don't often find myself building a contender right off the bat. And I, maybe that's just stylistically the way I like to play. But yeah, no, I, Trey, I feel like a lot of decisions I make in startups, and this came out of a lot of the conversations that Corey and I were having as we were going through it is like, what is the most pivotal pick that we can make right now? Right. What gives us the most flexibility, the most pivotability in terms of like, if we decide that we want to take 2023 off and go into 2024, kind of based on what happens in the first week, what is the player that we pick here that allows us to do that? Yeah. The easiest, yeah, right? That's interesting. Um, did, did, did that come into your calculations at all? Or was it more just about like the, the player strategy that that unfolded. Yeah, it, for us, it, we were, definitely did not go into the draft thinking robust running back room and then, you know, just try to fill in pieces around that. It was more just like taking the value in each situation and uh, the running backs are definitely falling, you know? So uh, we were happy with 
uh, the guys that were available in rounds three through six. And uh, they just, you know, so happened to all be running backs. And, you know, we feel like we have four RB ones on the roster and yeah, you might as well try to compete if that's the running back room that you're working with. Trey. And yeah, I, I think that's a great, um, like segue into like one of the trends yeah. um, that we noticed coming out of this uh, startup draft or the startup board that unfolded here. And that's the the value of the running back position or, or, you know, kind of like where the running backs are, are shaking out. So in terms of, you know, how the top of the board sorted out for this startup, it was in terms of the first round, it was nine quarterbacks, two wide receivers, and only one running back. Uh, unsurprisingly, that being Bijan Robinson. The next running back wasn't drafted until 210 uh, with Brees Hall. And then running backs three through six did not go until the middle of the third uh, between 305 and 309. So Mitch, what are your thoughts on this trend in terms of the running backs kind of being a little bit lower down the board than they have been maybe in the last few years? Do you think more than two running backs should have been drafted in the first 28 picks? No, I, I don't. And I had three picks in the top 28 and I came out with zero running backs. So pretty firm stance here. I do think that Bijan should go in the top 12 and he pretty much has been in every startup that I've seen. I think Brees ought to go in the top 24. You could make an argument for Christian McCaffrey, but because we're discussing a dynasty startup and not really talking about running back ranks, um, like all of these running backs, as we've mentioned before, have some flaw that just causes a bit of hesitation, like uh, Brees with the ACL or Saquon with the potential holdout or JT with Anthony Richardson there to take away right. a lot of touchdown potential, you know, CMC's 27, you get the point. I, I think that the wide receivers above them are just, or that were taken above them, just have like longer uh, windows of like value, I guess. So yeah, I definitely think more though, insulation with those wide receivers. Yeah. But the, the running backs then going in the in like after the third round, I, I think that's something that I've noticed as well in startups, at least within the last year or so. And I've seen some really good strategies employed to uh, to go get running backs in the third, like trading back out of the first and second to to get just tons of value right there. So, Trey, I've, we saw you do it. I, I think you <laughs> got insane value there. I appreciate that. I, I was inclined to sort of disagree with you at first here, but the more I think about it, I think you're you're right because you look at who went instead of the running backs here. There's so many good young wide receivers at the top of the board. There's like uh, probably 15 guys who are like young and certified good that belong in the you know second and third rounds of these startup drafts. So it's kind of difficult to sit here and argue that you know, CMC, who at age 27, even though he's like the RB1 on underdog right now, like that he definitely should be going in startups earlier than like, I don't know, T Higgins or Devontae Smith, right? Just to pick uh, two really good young wide receivers. So I think that's a fair argument. Uh, you can, you know, do your value analysis and kind of figure out which side of the coin you want to land on. But, you know, I, I recognize that in a startup situation, it's there's probably value in kind of thinking a little bit more long-term and thinking about the future. So, you know, I think that's partly at play here. I think there's also just this general sort of kind of all the running backs are old now and all the wide receivers are good and young. And that's just kind of the way the market is and that the market may look different in a year or two. 
but we've also just saw last year, like the Jarek McKinnon effect, right? Like these mm-hmm. running backs that are just coming out of nowhere at the end of the year, like Josh Jacobs coming out of, you, you know, basically mediocre career to being a league winner last year, Jarek McKinnon coming alive in the playoffs, like winning championships for people as like an RB six on the season, you know, like that fungibility of the running back position, I think makes it less worthwhile to invest in early in like the, you know, second and, you know, early third round of these startups. Yeah. I mean, it kind of seems like in terms of looking at overall running back values, it's like once you get outside of the fifth round, especially, I mean, to the, the sixth to a certain extent, because J.K. Dobbins, in terms of ADP, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Derrick Henry, these are all six-round picks. Those are, you know, pretty good investments, I think, in the sixth round. But after the fifth round, especially, uh, you kind of get into a a point, a a dead zone point, I feel like. Like, the running back dead zone for dynasty startups kind of starts in the seventh round, and it kind of runs through the ninth or the tenth um, for me. So I think, like, it's completely fine to you know, fade running back in those first couple of picks if, if you're going for that strategy. But I think like if you're going to fade running back past the fourth or the fifth round, just keep fading like that. That would that's when I look at the ADP board, that's probably what my like overall strategy would be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think like we've been in a little bit longer of a wide receivers and a lot of it is because of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Right. We've been in a few year period of wide receivers kind of reigning supreme as the value guys. And I, it was only a few years ago that it was like Saquon and Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey that were like no brainer first round uh, dynasty startup picks. So I, I think it's been a few years since we've been at that point, but at the same time, like it's the, the receivers are are it right now in terms of value uh, stores. I want to point out that Gibbs was our fourth running back taken off the board. And I think that Gibbs and Bijan like might go a little bit higher next year if they come out of this year unscathed and, and do some work. And we might see a shift back that direction. But Another thing I noticed about this particular startup is that all the the managers that drafted a running back early, like within the first one or two rounds, didn't draft another running back again for a while. So the strategy that they're using, just that hero running back, because as Trey mentioned, you can find like running back to production so easily. And if you just if you just stack your roster with uh, pan cup running backs, then plug and play all year long on, on your dynasty roster. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think to, to texture that it's like, you can find running back to production pretty easily. You can't necessarily find like robust running back to value. Right. So that's why the wide receivers are a little bit better of a store there because it's like, you can just like running back to production, you can find wide receiver to production very easily, like in the double digit rounds of dynasty startups. But that doesn't mean like the value that you're storing on your roster is, you know, better or like for the running back position. It means like you'd rather have those wide receiver twos on your roster with the current dynasty landscape than the running back twos on your roster because the wide receivers are just more insulated. Yeah, but that's where the scarcity comes into play. Like just starting running backs or running backs that are actually getting touches are 
much harder to come by than your plethora of wide receiver twos and threes out there. Yeah, good point. All right, let's move on to this next trend uh, for coming out of the startup. Um, just use it as an opportunity to talk about the quarterback position. So what are the quarterback tiers that developed uh, from this draft? So 15 quarterbacks were drafted between 101 and 302. So in the first you know, two rounds and change, we had 15 quarterbacks go off the board. So the big three, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts in the top three. And then the second tier was Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson, and Dak Prescott. They kind of went in the late first to mid second. And then it was the rookies, uh, Anthony Richardson, who actually went before Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson, followed by Young and Stroud going in the middle of the second round. And finally, we kind of have the risky quarterbacks in Kyler Murray in 209 and Tua Tungavailoa at 302. Risky because of their respective injury situations. Right, right. Between Tua at 302 and Trey Lance all the way at 605, which uh, Mitch and Rob drafted, there was actually only one quarterback taken in Mm -hmm. those three, you know, early to middle rounds. And that was Daniel Jones, uh, the new you know, $40 million per year man at 407. So it kind of seems at least at the micro level, like in terms of this TLG four startup, it looks like the quarterback market is pretty split between the top tier of quarterbacks, kind of those top, you know, let's say 14 guys and the lower tier. So Trey, any takeaways from this development? Is there value to be found in waiting at quarterback like Mitch did? Or do you think that the opportunity cost is too big here? So this is definitely the approach that Alan and I took was let's just go quarterback, quarterback and lock in that position. And then we'll figure out the rest of the roster from there. Uh, But looking at that lower tier. So from the sixth round on, I do think there are some really good values in that lower tier. I want to shout out uh, Kirk Cousins, who went at 608, uh, Geno Smith at 702, uh, Russell Wilson, uh, late seventh, and then uh, Matt Stafford, who Alan and I picked up in the 11th round, I think is a really good value. Uh, so looking at some of those names there, I think the squad that Alan and I built would definitely be a lot more balanced if we had kind of passed on Kyler at the late second and then gone for one of those later QB options in, in round six or seven. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, we obviously we would have had to like look for a trade back there. We had to find a willing partner and we just decided let's go with Kyler. Um, I do think he was a great value at that point, but you know, for a potential playoff run, clearly we're most likely going to have to move him before that happens. So a couple other thoughts here, just if you look at that second round of, of names uh, you mentioned that the three rookie quarterbacks all went in that range too. Uh, to me, that's not really appealing because I think you're basically locking yourself into that productive uh, struggle, like very early on in the process, you know, like if you go Bryce young in the middle of the second, like that pretty much you're pretty almost locking yourself into that productive struggle uh strategy I in disagree. my mind. Uh, and that's fine. But so but uh <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying here is I think looking back at the board and kind of reflecting on the the draft, that one QB build I think looks really, really valuable and and maybe preferable to me than the QB QB start. Um and I, I'll Throw in the caveat there, if that QB2 that you get is somebody lower than Justin Fields, right? So, for example, 
we, you know, you could have in the second round gotten Christian McCaffrey and then later on gotten Kirk Cousins. And the alternative would be something like Dak Prescott and J.K. Dobbins. I think one of those presents like a clear value uh, benefit. And I, for me, that's the CMC and Cousins side. Yeah, no, that's I as somebody who also went quarterback, quarterback, I'm not going to lie. I do kind of wish that we went Justin Herbert and then instead of Dak Prescott in the second round, you know, went for a wide receiver or a running back and then, you know, captured that value. I think Geno Smith at 702, Russell Wilson at 710, like those I was kind of pulling my hair out when that happened, to be honest. Well, on on my end, being the the hold the line, wait for that quarterback. Not gonna lie to you, like Trey Lance was definitely not our first choice. Uh, that was not <laughs> like this master plan here. We were really hoping that Daniel Jones made it to us in the fifth. Just didn't quite work out that way. But right, Adeko ADP has dimes up in that range, and honestly, is is. I agree with the spot. I, I think that that's about the the value of Daniel Jones there. So, but so I Mitch, did... hang on real quick. You you said you disagree with me on that uh, productive struggle thing when I was like, if well, you get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud in the second, like you're kind of locking yourself into that sort of uh, strategy. So I well, a I thought you said Anthony Richardson as well. So I was like, no, 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 no. But if you're just talking Anthony about Anthony Richardson's a it's a different ballgame. But if I you were if you're talking about upside, it's borderline yeah. with Richardson. But if you're talking specifically Bryce and um and Stroud, uh, yeah. And Stroud, yeah. I yeah, because you're you are losing a lot of value there. So I'll I'll give it to you there. I really I just like got triggered by Anthony Richardson being a productive struggle because there's a shot that that's not at all what happens there. But uh, back to what I was saying. So I had the opportunity to take Kirk Cousins over Trey Lance, and Rob and I decided against it just because this is where the, the team build starts to come into play. We look at the roster and we're like, okay, well, what's what's something that could take us over the top or give us, like Tarek mentioned, a chance to pivot here? And Trey Lance kind of offered that that wide range of outcomes where Kirk Cousins, you know, getting up there in age a little bit and he might have a good year this year. I, I like him this year, but beyond that, who knows? So I, I feel like it's a risk as well, and uh, I'd rather take the uh, the youth and the, the potential crazy upside. All right, guys, so we're about 10 minutes shy of an hour here, so what a great time to throw in a halftime segment. Mic check, it is halftime. Nice, why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's halftime. Nice, nice. All right, let's get into this halftime. We're going to talk about super deep sleepers. So kind of sticking with the startup mentality, what are some super deep sleepers that y'all are targeting in your dynasty startups? Trey, kick it off. All right. So we already talked about uh, the situation with uh, Dalvin Cook. So I want to throw out the uh, backup backup running back there. That's Ty Chandler uh, running back for the Vikings. Uh, it still seems likely based on the reports, like I said, that Dalvin cook is going to be released and, and that they're not going to run with him this year. And if that's the case, I don't really think Alex Madison is all that good. Uh, that is a, a Christopher Harris take. So shout out, uh, to the Chris Harris pod, uh, but also just looking at his, uh, you know, his stats on player profiler breakaway run rate and yards per touch are both outside the top 36, the last two years. So even on limited touches, he hasn't been super efficient. Enter Ty Chandler, last year's fifth round pick out of North Carolina. He's got a 93rd percentile speed score, which is exactly the sort of thing that I'm looking for in those late round running backs. And the price for him is very, very cheap. 
Allen and I were able to pick him up in the startup in the 21st round. So I think that's a good guy to hold on to just in case uh, Cook is cut and playing elsewhere. Okay, before we go on to Mitch's super deep sleeper, Trey, Ty Chandler, uh, you there's like clear reason you prefer him over Kene Nwangwu, uh, the other running back on the Vikings roster. who's He's more of a special teams guy, but extremely explosive. You mentioned Chris Harris, kind of a Chris Harris super deep sleeper is Kene Nwangwu. Um, so wondering if you have a take on him versus Ty Chandler. Yeah, I don't think Nwangu is going to see a lot of snaps on the offense. I think he's more of a special teams guy. Gotcha. Yeah, I think he was a fourth round pick, if I remember correctly. But yeah, yeah. one of the best kickoff return men in the league. He's very um, fast. Yeah, would be interesting to see kind of what shakes out there, uh, regardless of whether Dalvin stays or not. All right, Mitch, who you got? Well, Trey, I agree with you, man. I do think that Madison sucks, and I also think that James Conner sucks. Uh, I have <laughs> Keontae Ingram, running back, Arizona, friend of the pod, James Conner, like I mentioned, injury-prone, sucks. Kyler is still on the mend, so you, you'd have to imagine after getting rid of uh, DeAndre Hopkins, the Cardinals might run the ball a bit, and why not draft your starting running back in this 20th round, and that's Keontae Ingram. Yeah, uh, that. I, you know, handcuff running back. So we've got two deep handcuff running backs here. I'll keep us rolling. Uh, Jerome Ford running back for the Cleveland Browns. His current ADP is 1904. Homies Mitch and Rob picked him at 1908 in our TLG4 startup. I loved Jerome Ford as a prospect. Uh, I, I just liked watching him at Cincinnati. Um, he's kind of like a slashing running back. I think he could have standalone value immediately for the Browns. And that's because the path toward him being the primary Nick Chubb handcuff is wide open with Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson not on the roster. I think Nick Chubb in the fifth round of startups is a smashing value right now too. Big shout out to Trey there. I think that was a great pick. But I mean, we've never really seen Nick Chubb take the full reins in that offense. There's always been a Kareem Hunt there when Kareem Hunt is hurt. Dearness Johnson was taking a good amount of secondary touches. So I think we could see Jerome Ford do that as soon as this year. Yeah, quick tidbit there. Big Jerome Ford fan here. But we picked him at 1908, as Tarek mentioned. We tried to trade into the 1902, 1903, <laughs> 1904, because I knew I, I was like, Tarek's going to draft him. Tarek's going to draft him. Ended up passing on him, and we ended up getting him. So eat shit Tark. yeah and and we were the pick right after you at you know the ninth pick in that round and uh yeah alan and i 100 percent would have taken him if you didn't <laughs> you've got the draft board pulled up there yeah so i yeah i pulled up the draft board who i picked at 1904 over um mr jerome ford was sean tucker so i decided to go complete uh complete Unknown there, the undrafted free agent for Tampa Bay. Uh, Corey and I decided to go with Tucker instead of Ford. But looking back, you know, a little bit of regret, not going to lie. All right, let's kick off this second half, continue with our startup takeaways as we get deeper and deeper into startup season. Let's talk about trades. So a couple of big trades happened in this draft. Uh, were there any trades that you guys thought were worth mentioning uh, for our listeners? Mitch. 
I really like this trade and it someone went under the radar. This one's got Cam and Team Sanderson trading with Team Jay White. And basically, Jay White traded away uh, the 203 for the 206, the 503 for the 407, and the 903 for the 807. So moved up from the 9 to the 8, moved up from the 5 to the 4, and then only moved back three spots in the second round. And what that amounted to was uh, Jay White securing Danny Dimes there at that 407 pick, but it also kicked back from Deshaun Watson at the 203 to pick up Amon Ross St. Brown at the 206. So I think I, I think he got some great value here. And uh, Sanderson ended up getting some good value too. So it's just a good trade. Just a good trade on either side. So basically it's one of those where, you know, one person moved up a few spots and then moved back uh, twice later in the draft. Like we see that a lot in um, in dynasty startups, I usually am gonna err on the side of I like the person who moved back and then got you know some value later in the draft. But I think overall, like seeing how everything played out here, where um, like one team got Amon Ross St. Brown, the other team got Deshaun Watson. I think like overall, I, I agree here. It was it was a pretty good trade for both sides. Yeah, we haven't really talked about Deshaun Watson too much in the past few months, uh, but you know, obviously he was not as productive as uh, Daniel Jones was last year. So it's not out of the realm of pass- possibilities that you know Daniel Jones is more productive again this year. And then adding Amon Ross St. Brown really works out for the uh, the Jay White side here. Yeah, if you look gotcha. at it, it's kind of like Daniel Jones and Amon Ross St. Brown for uh, Deshaun Watson and Geno Smith. Yeah. 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 It's not bad. It's not bad. No, that checks out. All right. Uh, so we're moving from, you know, kind of a classic startup trade, trade back in an earlier round, a trade up in two later la- rounds. Trey, do you got a trade uh, that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I want to shout out uh, our podcast co-host here, John Alexander and his co- <laughs> uh, co-manager, Pat. Uh, they jumped up from the 11th pick in the third round to the seventh pick in the third round, and that was able to get them uh, Christian McCaffrey, who was falling uh, like crazy in the early rounds of this draft. Uh, So basically, John and Pat uh, traded up from the 11th to the 7th pick in the 3rd, and they traded back in the 4th and the 6th. And uh, the team they traded with uh, basically uh, then continued to trade back, uh, was able to get DK Metcalf at the start of the 4th round, and then trade back the later picks too. Uh, So essentially... The John and Pat side received Chris McCaffrey, TJ Hawkinson, and Jared Goff. The Sims and the Matt side, their trade partner, uh, got DK Metcalf as well as T Higgins and DJ Moore out of the deal. So it was really, it worked out pretty well for both sides. But I just wanted to shout out this because I thought it was insane value on Christian McCaffrey. I was actually tilting pretty hard because Alan and I had spent the entire third round trying to trade up to get McCaffrey before he fell any further and uh, John and Pat were able to put together enough to snag him there at the 307. So I thought it was just really, really strong value there for John and Pat. Yeah, I'll shout out Sims and Matt as well, though. I mean, that's a great way to capitalize on a player falling like a rock. You know, like y- there was no mystery who John was trying to trade up and get, right? Right. So that'll yeah. get you uh, get you some good value on your on your uh, return there. And I think they did. I think they did great with DKT and who else? Uh, DJ Moore. 
Oh, great. Yeah, crushed it, boys. All right, let, uh, the, the trade I want to talk about. Uh, so this features Tony and the TH Fantasy guys. Go uh, listen to their podcast, as well as uh, Jacob Sanderson and Cam's Not Sober. So those were the two teams. The TH Fantasy guys traded away their second, third, and fourth round startup pick, as well as their 2024 first, essentially to jump up into the late first, grab Justin Fields, um, so they traded all that capital away and then they got back 607 and 1007, which netted out to Traylon Burks and Jonathan Mingo. So basically what happened here is Tony and the TH fantasy guys, they have the best quarterback room with Mahomes and fields, but I think it gave Jacob Sanderson and cam a whole lot of value in the first six rounds to play with as well as an additional 2024 first. And anytime you can come out of a startup with an additional first, I think you're probably doing pretty well. I mean, I'm generally looking to be on the value side of that equation rather than pay the iron price for the elite second quarterback. I understand why they did it because like, how can you be mad looking at your team with Mahomes and Justin Fields? But looking at how things shook out overall, I think Jacob and Cam's team looks better for it. And they were still able in the early, you know, the the second round to uh, pivot back to Deshaun Watson. So they still got right. a potentially elite quarterback there. So I hated this trade at first for the TH fantasy guys, but looking at what they got, the Traylon Burks and the Jonathan Mingo, I think they recovered nicely from it. But I, I think that I, I can't look at this any other way than Jacob Sanderson and Cam just crushing this trade out of the park. I mean, <laughs> they have a contender with a with an extra 2024 first. I mean, what's not to like about that? Yeah, yeah, some great value in return here for sure. Uh, I mean, it, Justin Fields, his value could go up, you know, if uh, he crushes it this year, takes a step forward with the passing, uh, really, you know, takes that. Uh, Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen type step forward with the passing, but I think that's what it's going to take uh, for this to pay off for the uh, TH Fantasy side here. Yeah, and what I I think what I have seen when somebody pays the iron price for a second elite quarterback in a superflex league, like almost every time I've seen it, like a year later they sell that same quarterback for like the same kind of iron price. Right. So I just, I just kind of think like at the end of the day, like unless you like fall into a couple of good breaks and you compete like paying the iron price this early on, um, it, you're probably just going to end up backtracking. But I like, like Mitch said, I do think that the TH fantasy guys drafted really well after that. Like they just took like good ass football players after that, like Terry McLaurin and Michael Pittman and just like guys that are like, are good Hollywood Brown, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm like, it could work out, but I think they, you know, there's, there's a lot of value they give up for it. I mean, if fields is top five, the next two years, then this is fine. This works. Right. But right. The, we all know that we're all fans of, of Justin Fields on this pod, but we're not all like super hundred percent confident that's going to work out for him. So I would have really liked this trade for a guy like Justin Herbert or something like that. I would understand paying that price for him, but even as a Justin Fields guy, I, I, I can't pay that price. 
Yeah, Herbert definitely safer than Fields. Fields arguably more upside in year two, but uh, Herbert had a pretty great you know first two years in the league as well. Also, also remember six point passing touchdown, right? So true, true. Six point passing touchdown skews a little bit more toward uh, the passing guys than it would in like a, a standard four point passing touchdown league. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, let's talk about some player values. So we're going to talk about, you know, a couple of guys that we thought were really great values in the draft. And then, you know, to maybe to the chagrin of our league mates, uh, some reaches that happened. So first, let's start with the positives. Who was a player you thought was a great value? Um, and let's see if that tells us anything about the macro dynasty market at the moment. So Mitch, great values. Great values. I want to stroke my own horn for a second here. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave were three spots after they were supposed to go in Adeko's ADP. And being in other uh, startups, they, they went way earlier than they did. So I am so happy that they landed where they did. But we'll move on. We'll, we'll go over to Trey's corner here. I think Trey getting Austin Eckler at the 12th pick in the fourth round is some pretty great value considering this dude was the number four overall player last year and close to it the year before. So uh, it's amazing value. I, I think this happened last year too in a lot of startups I've seen. So I'd be keeping my out my eye out for Austin Eckler, especially if I was building a team to compete in the first year after drafting. Uh, that's about the range I think you're going to get them in. So yeah, yeah, and one of the things I like with Eckler this year too is uh, you know they are bringing in uh, Kellen Moore from the Cowboys, so I think that is going to be a step forward for that offense. So I think it's uh, wheels up for him for at least two more years. Yeah, you also drafted Eckler here um, in the fifth round. Like this was maybe a week before he had that renegotiated contract right. with L.A. Right. So you were able to capture a little bit of value there. He probably would have gone a little bit earlier uh, if not for that potential holdout. But this happened last uh, year, too. It's the age thing. People are freaking out and they shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, Eckler is he's such an amazing player because obviously he gets the pass catching, but they just use the living shit out of him in the red zone. <laughs> Like it, once you get inside the 10 yard line, it's not only rushes, it's like yeah. Justin Herbert just locks into Austin Eckler. So, yeah, I mean, I, that that's a game that's going to age, I think. So, all right, Trey, uh, who is a value in your opinion? All right. So I want to shout out uh, Tarek and Corey's team here, uh, getting Tyler Lockett with the ninth pick in the 10th round. I, I love this pick for you guys. Uh, Seahawks drafting Jackson Smith Najigba. Definitely push down Tyler Lockett's value. Once again, it's just the same story every year. Uh, I know Lockett's on the wrong side of 30 now, but I think this is a guy that you're going to have in your roster starting for you week in, week out, and you got him in the 10th round. Uh, he was somebody that Alan and I definitely thought about in with our picks earlier in the 10th and even in the 9th round. So uh, just looking at the rest of the market here, I mean, he's currently going at wide receiver 32 on best ball on, on underdog, which I think is too low. He's wide receiver 48 on keep trade cut. I think you can count on two more seasons of him giving you at least 13 PPR points per game. So I, I really like this pick for you. Um, I've got a couple honorable mentions as well, uh, unless you guys have reaction to Tyler Lockett. Well, I will just say like, thank you for the shout out there. But a lot of that Tyler Lockett pick came out of me tilting from you taking Keenan Allen at 10 Oh four. So 
um, you know, hat tip back to you there. It's funny. I, it was literally the conversation between uh, Alan and I was, you like Alan or you like Lockett more? So anyway, that's how we end up with <laughs> Alan. Um, anyways, a couple other mentions here. Honorable uh, Cooper Cup in the middle of the fourth round by Tyler and Logan. Uh, he was the 16th wide receiver off the board, uh, but he is currently the uh, wide receiver four on underdog. So I think that that's a smash value. And then a uh, shout out to Cam and Steven and Ryan, who are one of the uh, teams which uh, have three co-managers uh, with Josh Jacobs with the um, the 11th pick in the fourth round. Uh, we were definitely thinking him uh, on the turn uh, right after you guys when you took him. So I thought that was great value there as well. I think he's locked in for another top 10 running back season. Yeah, Josh Jacobs, absolute monster. I'll keep the running back train rolling. I thought Ramondre Stevenson at 503 or the 14th running back overall was a great pick um, by Jacob Sanderson and Cam. Uh, And, you know, the reason I'm bringing it up is it's actually the moment that I tilted the absolute hardest in this draft because (laughs) he went one pick before me. And, you know, I had to settle for Kittle, George Kittle in a 1.75 tight end premium, not too bad, but man, Ramondre at running back 14 is such a smash. Like he's my current running back six, which, you know, I'm aggressive on Ramondre Stevenson, but it's because of his size, his rushing ability and his pass catching that I think that combination is just truly rare. I think he actually has running back one overall upside. And I think his value is being weighed down by what everyone assumes is the Patriot way with running backs. And that's a committee I think, you know, his opportunity share doesn't really have to climb all that much for us to see a top five point per game season. I'm really into Ramondre. I've been trying to get him everywhere and everybody who has him knows what they have. So um, yeah. I, I don't I don't want to move on yet. I want to talk about Mondre I here for too. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so a couple things here. RB 14 in this draft and you currently have him as your RB six. So can you tell us who you have ahead of Mondre? Like who's your one through five right now? Yeah, uh, so obviously Bijan Robinson is my one. Okay, and then um, I have Brees Hall as two, so pretty chalk there. I'm trying to think. Running back three, uh, Jonathan Taylor, four, CMC, five, Jameer Gibbs. Okay, right on. So essentially, Mondre. Over, I have him ahead of Saquon Barkley. Right over Saquon, over Nick Chubb, over Josh Jacobs. You know, yeah. all the all these other names. So. I feel like that sort of crystallized for you, like when at, at this moment when he was like taken in the draft, because yeah. I think if we had talked about that and sort of established that beforehand, there's no way he would have made it to, you know, the third pick in the fifth round, right? Um, yeah, I would have tra- I would have traded up. I mean, I, I, I do think it crystallized for me in that moment. Like it was like, oh, shit, like look at what he did last year, right? Look at what the Patriots did in the wake of that in terms of, right. you know, letting Damian Harris walk, not drafting anybody, right? Like, it's like, do we think Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris are really going to, like, come in and take more of the share of the offense? Like, maybe, but, I mean, all Ramondre has to do is, like, tick up his opportunity share a tiny bit, and then we got a top five running back. And and I partly say that because I think it crystallized for me as well. I think I'm like, I was realizing after the draft, okay, I was probably sleeping on Mondre a little bit, and I kind of see things the way you do now as well. I don't know if I would put him necessarily as my sixth RB in a startup, but I, I totally see the value case here. I got him right there with you, Tarek. Uh, we are a big agree fest on Ramondre. I, I, I think that he could be that 
RB1. I totally think that's within his wheelhouse. And it may have crystallized for, for you there. It certainly did for me as well. I just drafted him in the fourth round in a um, best ball league. And my my uh, co-manager, Rob, texted me and, and was like, dude, I can't get him anywhere. And so <laughs> yeah. one of the biggest take takeaways from this episode is go get Ramondre Stevenson earlier than you think you should. Yeah, and it's like if you can get Ramondre Stevenson at cost, I mean – what is the uh, the the bias? It's called like the endowment effect, right? So the endowment effect basically means that the person who holds a particular asset is naturally going to value that asset more than anybody else, right? Yeah. And I think with Ramondre Stevenson, the endowment effect is like particularly strong. It's basically like if you have Ramondre Stevenson, you have a higher chance of thinking that his upside is like top five than if you didn't. So I will say like if you're in a league where somebody happens to roster Ramondre Stevenson that values him at like the borderline running back one range like the market is telling us he is then go pay that because like I I think it's I, I think the the it's weight the cost. of his yeah like the weight of his endowment effect is like very palpable across like my 12 leagues or whatever so um yeah go go look into that all right Let's get off of uh, the optimistic stuff and let's talk about the reaches. So where uh, did people make picks that you were scratching your head and you were like, eh, I don't know about that, Mitch. Let's talk some shit. Uh, no. <laughs> so I, I'm glad we get to talk about this guy because I wasn't able to talk about one of my super deep sleepers. But uh, I do want to talk about the biggest reach to me, and that was Jordan Love at the uh, 12th pick in the sixth round. Uh, I don't know who needs to hear this, but uh, Jordan Love sucks, and uh, Adeko has him at the 10th pick in the 7th round, so that's a whole round earlier, and I, I just, nothing smells worse than drafting Love a full round before ADP, so I'm going to climb off my high horse now. I drafted Trey Lance, so full, full disclosure, I, I know what I'm doing, but yeah, I just, I, I think that I think that Clifford has uh, a chance to see some time this year and not because he's good, but just because Jordan Love sucks. So are you are you basing that off of like film or or like games that you've watched where he's actually gotten snaps? Because I can't remember him getting really like any significant playing time over the last like few years. I and guess you're going to play I, up like two or three games with significant snaps, I believe. So, I so that's where I have to tune in and find out. So that's where this is coming from. Then the the two or three games. Um sure but uh no i i think uh no i'm genuinely I, asking because you you say he sucks and i just i'm trying to understand where that's coming from well i i'm skeptical of uh his abilities based on his preseason performances his pre-draft reach and then just like his limited performances when he's been on the field have been pretty miserable and right. i i just I don't see a way of this this working out. Like he, it's not like he's stacked up around him at wide receiver. And I, I don't know, man. This doesn't look good. I'm actually, I'm actually pretty excited about the pieces around Jordan Love. I think with that, those running backs we know are very solid. Uh, they brought in Jaden Reed and the two tight ends in the rookie class this year. I think Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs can take a step forward. So. I mean, yeah, there's not like a DeAndre Hopkins, you know, that's going to bail him out. But I think he's got some good pieces to that you know it's i think they would be good pieces for a good quarterback yeah 
Right. Exactly. It, it's not. I don't think. But those not a young, inexperienced quarterback. I think. Yeah. I think that like you're a, a veteran quarterback with like above average would do well with this. I don't think a inexperienced, unskilled quarterback is going to do well with them. But we'll see. Let 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 me cut through all of this and just say like reaching a full round on Jordan Love is probably not a great strategy. No, agree. No matter what, no matter what you think about his talent, but agreed. Um, yeah. Uh, Trey, you know, Mitch, I see that you have some honorable mentions on the show sheet. Rattle them off really quickly. Well, sorry, AJB fan club, uh, scary Terry at five twelve. Adeko has him at seven Oh three. Uh, I like scary Terry, but that's a little too high for me. Um, He's turning 28 and, you know, Jahan Dotson is going later than him at eight at the eighth pick in the eighth. So and I wrote down Hollywood Brown because uh, I didn't love it at first. He took him at uh, the first pick in the sixth round, but that aged nicely. So there you go. Oh, man, just taking shots at Tony and the boys. Uh, I I like both of those picks. Honestly, I think like I I don't know. I'm so fucking stuck on Terry McLaurin like I I just like I'm I'm like praying that like the the talent is going to back into a wide receiver one season but I'm probably I'm probably living in the past Look, all right Trey go ahead well hey nobody asked me but I would much prefer Hollywood Brown to uh, scary Terry okay all right all right Trey well give us your reach all right so uh <laughs> sorry here Marles here it comes <laughs> uh we've talked about it a lot this pod already but uh Trey Lance uh you and Rob picked him in the middle of the sixth round and I really hate it man I'm, I'm like <laughs> I'm totally out on Trey Lance after what's happened these uh first two years for him he's he's currently QB 20 on keep trade cut and you guys took him as the 17th quarterback off the board so that's really not terrible uh but you also took him ahead of some quarterbacks that I really like. I mentioned guys like Cousins, mm-hmm. like Russ Wilson, even Kenny Pickett. I think I would all prefer those guys over Trey Lance. You also took him over wide receivers like Brandon Ayuk, Zay Flowers, Traylon Burks that I would prefer as well. Uh, I just think there's like too high of a probability that San Francisco decides to go with Purdy or Darnold over Lance. And even on the off chance they do go with Lance, then he still has to hit for this to pay off. So it's just, I know we shouldn't be focusing too much on downside here, but I'm I'm kind of out on, on Lance these days. It's a risk. It's definitely a dice roll. And I think, though, we've talked about it a lot, but as as much downside as there, are, as there is, I believe there's a lot of upside too. Uh, the former third overall pick has potentially a, a higher ceiling than... A lot of these guys that we mentioned, or it might not work again, but I, I, I think that I'd rather roll those dice than the Kirk Cousins dice at the same range. All right. Uh, yeah. And if Purdy is healthy, he is going to be the quarterback. Like there's no doubt. Like if it's literally if he if his elbow works, they're going to start Brock. Purdy. It's just like Tommy Johns, right? It's no big deal. They're, they're not. I mean, they're not being coy about that, though. It's not like there's some. There's not really some like mystery of who's going to be the starting quarterback. It's like if he's healthy, which all reports are that he's on track to be healthy, it's going to be Brock Purdy, right? So I think like what you're hoping for here, honestly, is is Trey Lance getting traded. Well, um, I, I I don't I just don't see it. Well, like, and, so and no, before, I, before I, you jump in, Mitch, I just want to yeah. also shout out he's had two years in the league, and I know that he's struggled with injuries this time, but he apparently in two years hasn't shown enough in practices 
to the people that invested so much draft capital to get him for to he basically justify last year. He started game one. He showed enough to start last year. Well, and then and then lost uh, the job. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the sequence of events. I mean, he he he, he got hurt. He got uh, hurt. Yeah, okay. I mean, he. He got hurt. So that, to be fair there, yes, he got he lost the job because he got hurt. But he was he's he did not show enough to where they thought, OK, we need to start him regardless of Brock Hurdy's Purdy's health. Do you guys right? think they, that there's a potential here to light a fire under the only healthy guy they got at camp right now saying Purdy's a starter like there's a potential. You know, I mean, I, Kyle Shanahan is is historically a complete asshole. So he could fuck boy, definitely like pull that card. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I, I don't know. I think like I'm like I'm more on the side of Trey here. But I remember like let's think back to the beginning of this podcast. Like I like what Mitch and Rob did because it gave them a very clear course of action. It's like if Trey Lance doesn't hit, we're a 2024 team. Mm-hmm. If Trey Lance somehow does hit, we're going to kill it this year. Right. So I, I actually like I, I maybe I don't necessarily think it was a reach or anything. I think it was like a very calculated strategy. It was. But in terms of like what Trey is saying about how out he is in, it's weird because I kind of agree with both of you. Like I think <laughs> I'm kind of out on Trey Lance, but as a strategy of like it guiding your choices for the first year, I, I like what you and Rob and, did. And so. so let me just, I guess, try to bring this home. I think you can perform that same strategy with a guy like Kenny Pickett, right? Who is going to be the starter who could take a step forward in that offense, uh, you know, getting the progression with George Pickens at wide receiver, like Deontay Johnson actually scoring a single touchdown this year. Like there's reason to believe that a young guy, you know, maybe doesn't present the same level of upside, but obviously the floor is a, a starting quarterback higher. Yeah, I'll give you Pickett. That's fair. And I'll I'll finish with this, though. I, I'm not all in on Trey Lance by any stretch, right? <laughs> I am I am in on Lance in this very particular situation and yeah. out in a lot of others. You but, say that, but you have traded for Trey Lance on other teams since then. I've seen you do it. I, I traded, okay, well, I traded Fields and DJ Moore for uh, Olave and uh, Trey Lance, so... And a, and a first, first and a yeah, first. So, so that, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm just giving you shit, man. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> what's funny is like, let's come full circle here on that team that you traded away fields for Lance in a package back. That was a team where you had Patrick Mahomes uh-huh. and Justin Fields. Yeah. So I wasn't were like, happy. I wasn't. Yeah, you were like, you were like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta fan out to some value here. And what, what did I say when that went down? I was like, give me the field side. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Hey. hey. All right. All right. Let, let, let me finish this out here. I got, uh, as a reach and it's, it's kind of a bad faith argument here because Jalen Waddle, uh, John and Pat took him at two eleven, and this was not a reach at all. Like he's, I believe two Oh eight in a Deco ADP. Um, John and Pat got him at wide receiver seven, and I think he's wide receiver six in ADP. So look, it's actually not a reach, but I just wanted to use this as an opportunity because I think Jalen Waddle in general is just overvalued right now. I think last year as a second year player, his usage peripherals, 21.6% target share, 26.7% air yard share. Those are peripherals of a mid to low end wide receiver two, if not even a high end wide receiver three, honestly. But 
We expect Jalen Waddell is one of the best wide receivers in the league, top 10 wide receiver from a talent perspective. And we can also reasonably expect him to be one of the most efficient receivers in the league. With all that, like I think it's fair to project him or value him as like a low end wide receiver one, but him going a full round plus ahead of like alphas like Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill being the player who alphaed him last year, or receivers with similar youth and usage profiles like Devontae Smith and T. Higgins, it just doesn't make sense to me. I think that you are exposing yourself to a lot of regression when you spend that much draft capital on Jalen Waddell. I only have one share of Waddle left. I've been trying to sell him for Drake London plus, uh, for Chris Olave plus like a, a third, basically like anything I can get on top of him. Um, I think Jalen Waddle is like peak Russian nesting doll receiver. Man, I got Olave uh, ahead of Waddle, so I, I would smash the decline button there. But I think John was honestly just tilting from me sniping Garrett Wilson right before him. And right, I, right. I, I think he just panic mode took a wide receiver. You're not going to be upset if you no, draft John, Jalen Waddle. John well. loves him, Jalen Waddle. He does. John loves Jalen Waddle. I don't think he was that mad about it. I'm just saying, like, 211 is fine for Jalen Waddle when you look at a Deco ADP. I just think, like, Let's talk about the player in general. Like he is a low end wide receiver one. If we assume elite efficiency, right? So why are we taking him as a borderline top five receiver? I, I youth, man, youth. That's it. Yeah. But you can get youth at T Higgins and Devonte Smith. Yep. But... Right. And I agree with you. I think in that tier, they, they all do belong in the same tier. So I wouldn't justify a full round difference. And I'm, I'm in agreement on this as well. I think like Diggs and Hill, like, yeah, give me those guys over Waddle it straight up. Mm, I'm not with you up uh, at that point. No, I think that I'll still take Waddle because of the age over those two. I mean, Reek, the second he loses his speed or retires, I mean, what he said, he's out in three years anyway. Well, you don't, that's, well, sorry to cut you off, but you don't have to do it straight up anyway, because I think, you know, looking at keep trade cut, you can get a second on top of it or whatever. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, given yeah. the preference, I think, you know, there's more points to be had this year over replacement from Tyreek Hill, who I think we're going to get. Yeah. You know, two and a half, three more years out of. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, no shade to John and Pat there. I mean, you guys didn't reach, but uh, just <laughs> used y'all as a conduit to talk shit about uh, top six overall pick in the NFL draft, Jalen Waddle. All right. Uh, that is going to do it uh, for today's episode. I hope y'all got uh, some mileage out of this TLG4 startup that we did. You know, it was very active, lots of in draft trades, lots of, you know, value to be had on the board. So um, we're kind of nearing the end of like peak startup season. Um, but as you get into startups, you know, take a listen back on this pod. Think about how it could apply to the startup that you're in. You know, what are the trends that we've pointed out here that you can find in a Deco's ADP and uh, yeah, capture that value in your startups moving forward. All right, with that, thanks for listening to episode 87 of TLG. We'll see y'all next time. Goodbye. Right. Bye.